This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. All right, I will be reading Mark 10, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with questions. With this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded. He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Well, I'd say clap, but <laughs> maybe better just wipe your forehead. You can be seated. I've been praying all week about what to share, but Jesus said, what? And uh, trying to bring into our Christian faith as followers of Jesus, things that he said that I think could be meaningful. I will give you a disclaimer. I am not a professional counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. My wife does very well with that. She has a psych degree and uh, doesn't mind helping you, but we know people who can help. So again, like I say, whatever you hear today, my goal would be that you would put effort to it. And it would not just be a sermon but it would be something that would maybe uh, catapult you forward to find healing. No matter how broken you are at present or how hurt you've been or if you've been married before and divorced or if you're in the middle of a divorce or if you're remarried. Uh, I think all of you know my heart. My heart's never to point fingers. We all have a story. My belief is, is the most beautiful thing is no matter what your story is, it, when it bumps into Jesus, it can be beautiful. And so you might have a mess, and that's okay. We don't point fingers. Robin and I, by no means, are not perf a perfect couple. But I will say we try hard at it, and we work at it, and we strive to be the best we can be for each other. I just simply ask her today not to throw anything at me. <laughs> but... Uh, I think you know our heart. We love you, and we care about you, and we want the best for you. And uh, that, that's our heart as we get into this, is we want the best for you. And uh, we want your story to merge with Jesus. Because when it does, and I created a marvelous mess in my life, but when your life merges with Jesus, that marvelous mess becomes a miracle of a testimony. And so you might be in a, I wouldn't even, you might think, why would I call my mess marvelous? Because when it meets Jesus, it will be a great thing. So don't get discouraged today. But I felt like what I would do is to take a passage of scripture that probably 30 years ago was very much talked about in church. Uh, divorced people wore the scarlet letter. And... If you were divorced, you couldn't work in a church, preach in a church. There's still denominations today that if a pastor divorces, he can no longer stand in a pulpit and serve Jesus in that denomination because he has failed. And uh, I think uh, I have my opinions on that, but I'll leave that out just to say that the goal today is to take 32 years of marriage with Robin 
uh, 30 plus years of shepherding people. I've had conversations from a 45 pistol on my desk that says, you have five minutes to talk me out of murdering my, ex, my, my wife's lover to uh, there's no hope to I'm being abused to he, he hit me to she's, I mean, I, I could just give you 30 years of stories. Here's what I'll say. There have been people that walked in my office and told me the story, and I'm like, there's no way they're ever going to make it, and they do. There have been other people that come in, and I'm thinking, that's all y'all argue about? You must be kidding me. Y'all got a great marriage, and they divorce. So I will say it's very difficult to say at which spectrum is divorcing each other okay, if it's ever okay, because here's what I've determined. I have determined any marriage can work if you want it to. So what I find to be true is that most people get so hurt, they don't want it to work. The pain is just too hard. The memories, the words that have been spoken, the hurtful things that have been said. It doesn't mean that God can't heal it. It just often means that the hurt is so bad, I just don't know if I want it healed. And that's okay. I can't fault you for that. And I would not fault you if you decided to leave. If, if you're in an abusive situation, I, I, those are not my goals. My goals are to inspire you to what can bring healing and to tell you that no matter how bad it is right now, if you come to Jesus and you do life the way he wants, there's always hope. Amen. And it can be a beautiful thing. Robin and I are a great testimony that out of a great mess can come a miracle. So let's jump in today. It's not really a marriage conference. I think it's going to touch everybody. I've tried to be fair with it, not to just touch married people, but all of us in the room, whether you're dating or you're divorced or you're married or you're contemplating marriage. So let's jump in. Here's the thought of the whole series. What you think about Jesus, who he is, and what he says matters greatly. And the goal, and this is a little extra from last week, the goal isn't simply loving him, but it's obeying him. I'm okay that we love Jesus, but the goal is not just to love him, because he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And that, that is a dirty word. I just want God to let me do anything I want and love me and let me love him, and that's okay. But that would be just as dumb as you marrying a husband and he walking up and saying, Now, honey, I want you to know I love you, but I want you to still let me date my girlfriends. You would be like, What in the world are you talking about? You either love me or don't, right? Well, I think it's fair for Jesus. And we say, Well, I love you, Jesus, but I'm shacking up with the world. I'm living ungodly. I'm not doing what he wants. I think it's fair for Jesus to go, What are you talking about? If you say you love me, then show me. So that does sting a bit, but this is what the teaching that I felt to, to, as we launch out 2022 to just say, well, if it hurts, we'll repent. If the shoe fits, we'll all wear it, and myself included. Here's the thought that we launch into today. When what he thinks conflicts with what I think, it's time to reevaluate who's in charge. All right? Now, in my walk with him, there's been a lot of times what I thought was not what he thought, and Mark had to determine who's God in this relationship, me or you. When Robin and I were broken, we had to decide who's in charge, her hurt feelings or my stupidity or God. Because any time the conflict begins to arise, you better know in a marriage conflict or relational conflict everybody's vying for the throne. Who is in charge? Who is right? I often joke about this. I don't mean it in a hurtful way. It's just comical to me. Many who come to me, I, I often wonder if they come to be fixed and helped or if they come for me just to check which one of them's right. They want the preacher to affirm who's wrong and who's right. I don't, I'm not saying they don't look for healing because many do, but... I don't see a lot of effort put to healing. I see a lot of effort put to just tell me that he is what I think he is or she's what I think she is. See, the preacher said, and then we kind of move on with life. So 
when we do bump into things like what Victoria Kate read, and it stings a bit, talking about can I divorce my wife? Can I? Let's just jump into it. Let's just get into the scripture, and I'll make comments on the scripture. Jesus then left the place and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan where a lot of people, crowds of people were following him. And as is his custom, he taught them. Uh, this is not my sermon, but it is a good deep note to think about. Jesus just didn't walk around throwing fish to people. He didn't just walk around going, yeah, let me do some magic today. He knew that even if he healed blind people and even if he did miracles, the goal People had to be taught. And when it says he taught them, buckle up because it's probably going to be polar opposite to what people think because he's God. So some Pharisees in the middle of the teaching, those are really high-end religious people. They came to test him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? My comment here is religious people are always looking for the legalities of what's right and wrong. Because I judge you based off of my rules. So that if my rule is don't ever divorce and if you do, God hates it because the Bible says God hates it, then everybody who's been divorced just feels hated. But the Bible does say God hates divorce. So if we're not careful, even the way we can communicate truth can isolate people to it's really not true, even though it is true. Because the one thing about this, notice this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What this tells me about religious people is I don't really care about your story, I care about whether you pony up to what's right and wrong. They didn't even ask, well, let's talk about the woman. Is she being abused? Is the man hitting her? Is the man sleeping with other women? I mean, why? Don't just ask, is it lawful? Let's dig deep into the story. Don't just go, well, don't divorce. Let's find out, is she being abused? Is she being emotionally abused? Is he punching holes in the wall, threatening her? Because all of these conversations I've had over 32 years... Pastor, I know the Bible says we shouldn't divorce, but he's punching holes in the wall and he's throwing things at me and he put a gun up to my head and threatened to kill me and I was told that I could never divorce. And I'm like, honey, my God. He put a gun to your head. Hand me a gun, I'll shoot him for you. I mean, come on, I am a human here. So if we're not careful, we can get so religious... Don't divorce anybody that you let them put a gun to your head because you're trying to obey a law of God that could be mad at you. So if we're not careful, we can be very pharisaical playing with Scripture and not understand every human breathing in this room has a story. And if you've been divorced, I guarantee you there's a story to it. It, And it's more than just, I'm divorced. It probably came with a lot of hurt. It probably came with some disappointment. It probably came with a lot of sadness. It may have even come as a surprise. It may have come with, thank God that's over. But everybody in the room has a story. And Jesus cares about the story. But the religious people care about the law. Next verse. Well, what did Moses command you, he replied. Well, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and put her away. In other words, the paper gives me the right to divorce you. What you've done to me, I can give you a little certificate that says you're no longer my wife. Good, go find you a job, which you would be not able to in that situation. Get out of my house. Because the issues of all the paper, I keep records of wrong. You talked mean to me. You don't pay attention to me. You don't give me enough sex. You don't say hello to me when I come home. You never esteem me. Write them all down. And then I take my little pieces of paper and I've got so many things written against Rob and I go to a lawyer or a counselor and go, look at all these things. She doesn't even pay attention to me. She gives me no time. She pays more attention to the dog than me. She loves the children more than me. I like spaghetti. She makes fettuccine. Arrgh! 
So we, we harbor all these little records of pieces of paper because those pieces of paper are when you go sign the divorce papers, they'll go, well, can you give us a reason why? And then you have to give a reason why. Typically, we just don't get along. But this is what Jesus says. Well, I'll be honest with you. Moses permitted you to write a piece of paper because you're, you don't want them anymore for whatever reason. Again, doesn't even, uh, doesn't even affirm the story. It, it's so generic. Can I divorce a piece of paper and her? We don't even get names. We, we just get a bunch of religious people trying to determine, can I get rid of this old hag that I live with because she irritates me? And I just want to make sure God ain't mad at me. So the next verse, it gets a little more interesting. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you the law. But at the beginning of creation, God made a male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and he will be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. It's almost as if Jesus doesn't even care about the story either. He just gives us point blank. God doesn't want you to separate. As Victoria Kate read, it even gets dirtier because it starts talking about if you divorce, you're an adulterer. I mean, it just it really just makes me feel, uh, but don't. Don't go too far with that because he also says if you even look at a woman with lust, you're an adulterer. So it just gets really sticky right here. He does at least admit that God doesn't want you to separate. He admits that from the beginning of creation, it was the way God intended it. Mark and Robin are to die together. If Mark marries Robin and Robin marries me, we are to die together. Does it mean that we will? Not necessarily. She could get bitter and leave me. I could get bitter and leave her. And according to Georgia law, we can hash it out in courts. And I can let her see the kids some. And she can let me see them some. And she gets half the house. And she can have the dog. And we'll fight over the cars. And we'll fight over weekends and holidays and birthdays and Christmases. Because that's just so much easier than living with her. I would rather split Christmases and birthdays and exes and other people's children and all this because living with her, God awful is terrible. But the reality is the moment I leave her and factor in another woman to be everything I want her to be, now my children pay a price. I pay a price. I've added all kind of extra work to my life simply because she and I decided we can't do this anymore. Now why would two... I'm not talking about worldly people. I don't, I don't have any concern with what the world does. But Christians, we must talk about it. Why would two people who love Jesus not want to work it out? Why? Why should I stay with her and why should she stay with a failure like me? Well, typically we won't if we're two people who just love Jesus. She'll have so much hurt that we'll stay married to please God, but we won't sleep together. We'll sleep in separate rooms because we just don't want a divorce because, hey, we pastor people. And we don't want people to think, well, if we can't make it, there's no hope for anybody. So a lot of times Christians will fake the love because the other option is just too guilty. So now he's hooked on porn. We don't even sleep together. We share separate rooms. We raise the children. That's noble, but I don't know if that's what God wants. Like, does God, does God like that more than he likes divorce? God's like, I'm so proud of y'all. You don't have sex. You don't sleep together. You're in separate rooms. And you just... But you didn't divorce. Man, that touches me. Like, I don't think God thinks that way. I think he's just as ticked off that we hadn't slept together in a year and sleep in separate rooms and can't even talk and we're pouty and narcissistic and angry. I think he's like, what do y'all think I am? Like, you think that makes me happy, Mark, that you're laying on a couch pouting because you're an only child? You're, you're a baby married to an only 
You ever want to know how difficult it is at times in your flesh to be married? Let an only child marry the baby. Because the baby has been pampered his whole life. The baby gets anything he wants because he's mama's baby. The baby doesn't like fettuccine. Oh, let's give him scatty. But when the baby marries an only, what do you mean you're not eating fettuccine? I made fettuccine. Eat the fettuccine. I don't want to eat the fettuccine. My mama would make me spaghetti. Well, I ain't your mama. <laughs> she doesn't talk to me that way, but you get the point. So it's not like Robin and I have 32 years of us just massaging each other's feet with no issues. I try to be very transparent. I am a professional powder. If you ever need lessons, call me. But I've had to grow through it. She's helped me grow through it. Somebody asked us one time, what's the best thing about your wife? And I said, the thing that irritates me the most is the thing I love the most. Because she is an analytical perfectionist. But I love that because she balances me out so well. She can analyze it from A to Z, and I'm just like, let's just do it. She's got to analyze it out. I'm just like, let's roll, but the, the, smart, the suitcase has to be packed just right. Oh, let's just pack the suitcase. She's better now because she married me. The streamers don't have to all be the same anymore. And now we just take two suitcases. I don't even want my stuff in your stuff. I like mine all messy. I like to hunt for my underwear. Where is it? It's in here somewhere. She's like, mine are in the left corner folded real nicely. I've got 32 pair just in case. I brought one. We got to go, we got to go by family dollar. Why? I forgot my underwear. <laughs> but we've made it 32 years. And you still like me? She still likes me. <laughs> and I still love her. But... Because we passionately love each other, we were not stupid to think that we could do it without help. We've had pastors help us. She's a book reader. She reads books. She wants me to read them. And I said, just tell me what to say and I'll do it. <laughs> tell me what chapter you're hoping I'll read and just tell it to me and I'll try to do it. We've gone to professional counselors. We've paid money. We've driven hours to counsel with people. So we're not sitting here today with this wonderful marriage because we sat at home fighting and arguing and trying to outpout each other. We, we put effort to having a wonderful marriage. Those of you that follow us on social media, every Friday or Saturday or Sunday, whatever day we can find, I take my sweet bride on a date. And it costs money, and it takes time, and we, I'm okay with that. She's worth every penny, but we intentionally try to do that. Why? Because verse 5, I learned, is the real issue. It's not underwear and suitcases and fettuccine. It's the hardness of the heart that ruins a marriage. And when her heart becomes hard toward me, because I don't pick my underwear up and my heart becomes hard toward her because you made fettuccine instead of spaghetti, now we have a problem. Not that we disagree, but that the disagreement starts festering in my heart. And when the disagreement festers in my heart, the hard heart is the destroyer of every relationship. Remember I told you people came in my office with a myriad of stories from cheating to lying to abuse to ignoring to whatever. Uh, he screams, he hollers, he's never home, she's, she never pays, whatever. When I said that some of them make it and some of them don't, here's, here's my, my assessment of that. I feel like it's fair because I'm going off my experiences. The success of their marriage was never determined on the horror of their story. The success of their marriage was determined on whether their heart was in it to fix it or not. 
Because all of us are, are works in progress. Now, I, I'll have to be fair here. It takes both of you to have a good heart. It's very difficult to work a marriage out when one person has a hard heart going, I'm doing everything I know to do here, and the other person's like, I ain't going to talk to nobody. I told you I love you once. You're all like me. <laughs> so I will be fair that, that, that the hard heart is going to take both of you. Both of you will have to deal with your heart. But if you will, your success story will be great. I could probably go to every divorce and end somewhere in the mix, whether one, both, the husband or the wife, a hard heart got involved. Now, I'm not talking about medical issues. I'm leaving that away because sometimes marriages go belly up because medical problems. So let's leave those out. Let's just talk about you're a healthy human Everything's good, but your heart went bad. Every adulterous affair, every pornographic act, every anger, every fist in the wall, every frying pan, every time you sleep on the couch, every time you argue and cuss each other, I guarantee you, you're doing it over underwear and fettuccine, and it's the heart that's the issue. So once I learned the hard way that the heart is what I need to work on, things in the marriage begin to go great. Because I fell apart, not because of another woman, not because Robin wasn't the love of my life, she was. I fell apart because my heart started becoming darkened with negativity. And rather than dealing with it and talking it out, I held on to it. And I pouted on it. And once it starts festering, this is my, my opinion here, once it begins to fester and you don't deal with it, it grows like a cancer. Oh, it will eat you up. Everything bothers you now. What do you mean you put out the plastic forks? Everything starts irritating you. The tea's not sweet enough. Right? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Once the, once the cancer gets in, everything about her irritates me now. Because it's festering like a cancer. It's eating it. And so therefore the secretary does look good. The guy, the guy that flirts with you at work does look a little better. The grass is greener. Why? Because the heart is not hard toward them because you didn't even know them. But the heart is hard here because it's causing me to have to grow and change and be different. Ugh. I don't want to be that way. As my dad said, if you want to know the real person, here's how you know them. You work with them or marry them. And you will know them real quickly. You want to know the real person. It's not in flowers and cards. We can all fake that. It is in marry them or work with them. And you'll know exactly what kind of person they are. And that's why so many people get divorced. It's, here's my opinion why. It's just easier now. It's just easier to go get a judge, sign the note, because I don't want to invest. I don't want to spend money. I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to read books. I don't want to go talk to a preacher. I don't want to go to some therapy. I just want you to do whatever I tell you to do, woman, and we'll be all right. So, and it hurts. So let's look at it. I, I try to be fair. Because the scripture said from the beginning... I went to two beginnings. I went to the beginnings of humans, Adam and Eve, and the beginning of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And in the next few minutes, I want to just pull out what is the difference between a hard-hearted person and a good-hearted person. And then I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and we're just going to go out worshiping and believing. So let's look at it. Here's the first. It, it just I, I jump midstream here. So... Midstream, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. This is, they're married now. They're in the garden. They have a life together. Here's the scripture. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, God. So the first line, I gave you the three people involved in the story. The devil, God, and the wife. Right now in your marriage, no matter if it's good or bad, you better believe not only is God trying to be involved, but so's the serpent. As much as God wants you to make it, the enemy wants you not to make it. 
So let's just go. The very first marriage, the very first, there's no parents to get involved. There's no in-laws. There's no exes. There's no porn. There's no fettuccine. It's just a guy, a gal, naked with God, and problems soon arise. Because what it's going to teach us is what you think is the problem is not the problem. The problem is the heart. Because how in God's name could a piece of fruit cause such an issue? Because her heart went wrong. So God said, He knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree, and here's what really starts happening. She saw the tree was beautiful. She saw that it was delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. First sign of a hard heart, here it is. What matters more, what you, sorry, what you want matters more than what God wants. If you want to know, if you have a hard heart, whether you're married or not, What you want matters more than what God wants. You have a hard heart. And when I hurt Robin and we're trying to work through it, it would have been easy for her to go, I don't know if I want to be with him. He said, oh God. She had every right to toss me aside. But there was something in this beautiful woman that went way beyond the pain that I called her and reached out to the God that she served. And this woman would send me emails to go, do you remember what God said about you? Do you remember what God said about us? She could have tossed me under the bridge. She could have said, you sorry, no good piece of whatever. I can't believe and I, I, you and you and this and da, da, da. And just, no, I'm sure she wanted to. I've never asked her. She may have typed them out and deleted them. I just know clearly in my mind when an email would pop up and I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to wear me out. It was like, Mark, I just wanted to remind you that God told us this and Scripture said that. And Jesus, she had every right to be angry, but there was something, thank God, there was something in her that mattered more than her. And what mattered to her was God, what God told me, what God said, what God promised me. And if you want to know if your heart's hard, just determine what matters more to you, what God thinks about you and your situation or what you think about it. Now, let's go back to my years of counseling. 32 years of counseling, it's rare. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but it would be very rare. Count on one hand. How many couples have sat in front of me, we're falling apart, and we came to you because we just want you to tell us what God wants us to do because we're lost? Most people sit down and say, let me tell you what she's been doing. Well, let me tell you what he's been doing. And he's been doing, that's why I've been doing. Well, that's why I've been doing, because she's been doing. And we want you to tell us which one is right. Because the truth of humans is, we don't want to factor God into it, because then it makes me repent and realize that God may be dealing with me instead of her. So what you want matters more than what God wants. So let me ask you right now, what does God want out of your marriage? Does he want y'all still cussing each other, ignoring each other, not having sex, sleeping on a couch, sleeping in another room, passing his ships in the night? We ain't no reason to talk about it because every time we talk about it, we just fight. Okay, so ignore it the rest of your life. What does God want? Do we take time to sit down as we did in our middle of our issue to sit down and look at each other and go, well, here's what I know God wants. He doesn't want us to divorce. And then we both agreed, well, neither does He want us to live miserable because both of those are not good options. So if we don't want to divorce and we don't want to live miserable, well, then we need to go get help. And a lot of people won't divorce, but the... the, the, The the issue of not divorcing is then let's just live miserable. Because we're good Christians, we just live miserable. No, if you're not going to divorce, the option is not to live miserable, it's go get help. So let me ask you, does God want you to get help today? Hey fella, are you struggling with pornography and it's ruining your marriage? Would you go get help? You talk to her like a jerk. Are you willing to go get help to stop talking to her that way? You keep ignoring him over and over because you have daddy issues. Are you willing to go talk to somebody about that? 
You were molested when you were a kid and that causes you to feel really anxious during sexual activity. Well, okay, welcome to the planet. Would you go talk to someone to find healing? Because it wouldn't that be what God wants? You're his son. You're his daughter. He's not freaking out that you're having a problem, but he does want to help you. The Holy Spirit was the helper. So would you go get help? Would you read a book? Would you call Robin and say, can I talk with you? I'm not a counselor, but I would love to help. Would you call me? Say, I'd like to chat with you. And I'll go, yes, tell me your story. I'll listen to your story and I'll try to help you the best I can. But please, for the love of God, don't throw each other under the bus. You're humans. We're all broken. We all need help. But ask yourself today, what does God really want and does that matter to me? Let's read the scripture again. I highlighted something different. Same passage. There's the serpent. There's the woman. And there's God. But at the very bottom, there's the fourth person in the fire with her. Her husband. She's all excited. It's delicious. It's good. It's great. I'm going to do this. I'm going to disobey God. Yes, I'm going to disobey God. I'm so excited to do it and I feel like I have reasons and my feelings really matter. My feelings matter more than God. And because my feelings matter more than God, I'm going to pull you into my problem because I want you to be part of my problem. I don't really care if it affects you. I'm the one that thinks it's delicious. I'm the one that thinks it's good. I'm the one that matters. I want to pull you in. I just want you to know you better eat it. I mean, I've been married long enough to know that sometimes we can pressure each other into doing things that we really don't want to do. Because here's the second sign of a hard heart. What you want matters more than what your spouse wants. And this is the, I would say, the rattlesnake of poison. Is it's a lot of times you, what you want just matters more than what Robin wants. So that what I try to say to her now in 32 years is tell me what you want. And I'll do my best to do it. I'm not saying I always will. She said, well, I just feel like sometimes when I say things, you just don't even hear what I say. And it just goes over your head. You're playing guitar. You're listening to TV. And I need the Christmas decorations down. And then I say, no, I heard you. I just didn't want to do it right now. And she's thinking, well, the reason I told it to you is I wanted it done right now. So when I said, would you take down the Christmas decorations, I said, it would have helped me if you would have communicated with men because we're really slow. That's why we didn't find the fruit. Y'all did. We didn't really care. We had plenty of other fruit. We're not that analytical. It would help me if you would say, honey, turn off the TV and the guitar. I need the Christmas stuff down right now then that will allow me time to be angry <laughs> because I matter more than you and my guitar and TV should matter right now because I'm chilling with guitar and TV. So then I don't go right now. Now she's kind of pouty that I didn't go do what she wanted me to do, but I'm thinking I'm going to do it. I'm just playing guitar right now. But she starts thinking he just always, it's all about him and his guitar. When I need something, he's not there until he is ready to do it. Well, now, because of that, if we're not careful, the hard heart sets in. He just ignores me. He just does it whenever he wants to. It's just, if it's not his way, it's the highway. And I'm thinking, my God, why don't you just stay off of me? There's not one thing she's ever asked me to do that I've not done. I just do it in my own time. What does it matter if that's March? It's okay. They're down. I got them down by Easter. <laughs> I actually told her this year, she, she bought this like 12-foot tree. I was like, you think we could just leave it up till next Christmas? <laughs> like, I don't want to haul the thing off. But we both have learned that the most beautiful thing of love is she does matter more than I matter. I'm not saying that I can't have things that matter, but I have to start that what matters to her needs to matter to me as well. And if I'm not careful, my TV and guitar will matter more than what she wants. And if she's not careful, the things coming off the window will matter more than her husband playing guitar and we'll start. And once we start this, the cancer begins to grow. And we get irritated and we, we harbor hurts. And you said, I said, she said, I remember when you said this. 
And now we carry around the pieces of paper that are going to build up and go to the judge to write a certificate. Those are the two, this opinion, I don't want to keep you too long. Those are, the, those are my opinions of the, of the worst crisis of every marriage that fails. What mattered to God doesn't matter to me and what matters to my spouse doesn't matter to me. Those two things are probably the things that have ruined many a marriage because once she finds out he's on porn or once he finds out she did this, it gets so overwhelming that God gets out of the equation. We start arguing versus going, all right, you did that. That wasn't good. Let's go back to why you and God, what's going on? Because it's not first a marriage issue. It's a God issue. And then once we fix the God issue, what's going on? Why, why do you not respect him or her like you should? Now let's look at the sign of a good heart with Mary and Joseph. It's just two of them, and it will be short, but it will give you something to work on. Here's the scripture. It comes out of the book of Luke. Jesus shows up to this little girl who's about to be married. She's got a beautiful dream. And I love how her heart responds so much different than Eve. Because when God says, you're going to have a baby, she just says, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. Just let your word be fulfilled. What a such a different response than Eve. Eve's was, it looks beautiful, it looks great, and I want it, and I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to do it. And, and Mary's like, well, I have a wedding, and I was going to get married, and now I'm going to be pregnant, and they could kill me, but bottom line, I'm your servant. So I think I'll choose your way. And here's the sign of a good heart. I serve God without excuse, and I am first and foremost His servant. It's why I'm standing here today, because when my wife... I'm going to give her a lot of kudos today. Because when I fell apart, she went back to first and foremost, she's not just my wife first, she's God's daughter first. And when she realized she was God's daughter first, she went to daddy about the problem versus chewing me out. And then I suddenly realized, well, if I did that, it wasn't because she, quote, wasn't paying attention to me that I fell apart. There was something in me that forgot I was a servant of God first and foremost. And I went awry, not because of her. I went awry because of my own heart with my father. Lord, where did I go wrong? God, show me. And so now, here's, here's my take. If you want a good heart, rather than nitpicking each other to death, begin to kneel down and go, God, nitpick me. What do you see in me that needs to die? And when I prayed that prayer, April of 2011, here's what the father said. Oh, how I wish he would have said, it's Robin's fault. Yes, I do it. Nope. God, I need you to help me. Why? Because I'm a servant to you first. And my wife's going, God, I'm your daughter first. And when I prayed that prayer, here's what I heard. April of 2011. Mark, yes, Lord. I cannot help you when you're negative all the time about your wife. And in that moment when my Savior told me what my problem was, I called her on the phone and God began to heal us. Because I quit pointing a finger at her and I went to God and said, point a finger at me, what in me is unclean? Create in me a clean heart, God. And God said, I want to heal you, Mark, but you're negative. Every time I try, you have paper against your wife. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't. you got to let me heal you, Mark. And on that day, I've tried to be honest with it, that I told God I'll never be negative toward my bride again. That was 11 years ago. I think I've done a decent job to never again let a seed of cancer in me that has a negative thought about her at all. It's like, oh my God, she's your daughter. Why was I thinking that way? So a good heart says, I want what, I want what you want, God, not what I want. Create in me a clean heart. I'm a jerk. I was negative. It's not her. It's me. I'm your kid. She's home praying the same thing. God, I could just let him have it, but I'm your daughter. Tell me what I need to do. Second thing of a good-hearted marriage. So when they had gone, that's they, meaning now Joseph is married to her, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Mary's husband. Get up! This one's going to sting, fellas, so just letting you fellas know. Pre, pre, 
pre-warning here. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search her in to kill the child. So Joseph got up, took the child and mom, and left for Egypt. Here, here's where it stings. He stayed there until the death of Herod. How long should I stay in this marriage until the thing that's trying to kill you is done? How long should we fight for better until the thing trying to destroy your marriage is buried and gone? Well, I'll never forget the question I asked the counselor. So how long before she probably trusts me again? That's fair. Like she doesn't trust me at all right now. How long, Miss Professional Counselor with all these degrees, should she trust me again? Like only a professional could do. She sat back in her chair. She said, well, Mark, as long as it takes. I wanted six months. I can do it. Eight months. I can do it. A year or two. I might can do it. As long as it takes. What do you mean? Till death do us part? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. That's just a phrase at a wedding. Till death do us part. Yes, I guess. Because I love her that much. But here is the second place, get ready, fellas, of a good heart. Fellas, this has nothing to do with the woman now. If you as a man do not serve your bride without excuse, you're on your way to a sick marriage. You are the priest of the home. She owes you nothing. You are the priest of your home. God did not say to Mary, take your husband and take the baby and run for your life. He looked at the husband, get your kid, get your wife, and go. And that man had to stand up as a priest. He could have said, it's not even my kid. Not even my kid. You're the one that gave her to her. If you gave her the kid, well, then why, why should I have to be doing it? If you're the one that gave her this child that's not even my child, then why don't you work some miracle and get her out of here? Why are you putting all the pressure on me? Because you're the priest of the home. That sounded mean, but it felt good. Something happens when the man stands up and becomes a man. Something happens when the man says, no devil of hell is going to steal my wife. If something happens when the man says, no way in hell am I letting pornography in my home. I'm the priest of the home. I'm going to guard my children and guard my wife because no devil of hell is coming in here to have some cancerous thing to steal my bride from me. And then the secretary walks by and her boobies are hanging out and I'm not about to let the devil rob me because I am the priest of my home and I'm called to the Lord God Almighty to fight for my wife, fight for my children till the day I die. I will swing a sword that no devil of hell. Ladies, I gave you an opportunity to clout right there, but buckle up. <laughs> Go back a scripture. No man wants to drag you around nagging. He just needs you to shut up and get on the donkey. <laughs> She's going to kill me. I don't mind leading, but it's hard to lead a hard-hearted woman who is stubborn and mean. If you want me to lead you, get on board and I'll do my best. But fellas... Most women don't want to follow a jerk. Most women don't want to saddle up the donkey and follow you because they don't trust you. Because you talk like hell to her. Because your words have crushed her. So she doesn't trust getting on a donkey with the kids going to Egypt. She doesn't trust you. You're rude to her. You don't give her the time of day. You don't pay attention to her. So don't, don't, don't act like she's not on the donkey. She probably doesn't want to get on the donkey because you're not worth going on the trip with. 
But if you'll pony up to God and become a priest of the home and ask God to forgive you of everything in you that's narcissistic and God tell me whatever I have to do to love this woman like I need to love her, I'm going to go way out on a limb here. I have never, that's a never, I have never met a woman yet that does not want to follow a strong, endearing, shepherding, loving, kind-hearted man of God. Never. That woman will say, give me my stuff and get on that donkey. Why would you get on a donkey with your kid to go to Egypt? Because I love my husband. He stayed with me when he could have left me. He could have divorced me, but he didn't. And he's caring for a kid that's not even his own kid. And he loves this kid as much as he loves me. And this kid's not even his kid. Because he has proven to me that he loves me just as much as Jesus loves me. I will go anywhere with him he wants me to go. So fellas, love her like you love yourself. Love her like Jesus. Become a priest and say, God, deal with me. That woman will follow you to the ends of the earth. She just wants to be loved and cared for and know that you love her and care for her. But she needs a strong man. She doesn't need a wimpy man. She doesn't need some guy in there crying on the toilet. You never pay attention to me. All right, I've preached too much. Stand up. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 